0: Let's cut to the Chase with Laura Curran.
1: With me, Laura Curran. And
0: let's bring in Laura Curran, a member of the Democratic Party. Joining
1: us now by phone, Laura Curran. Laura, good morning. Now,
0: here's your host, Laura Curran.
1: Hello, I am Laura Curran, and this is Cut to the Chase, where we delve into politics, media, culture, and current events. Real conversations about real issues that affect our lives, no matter where we are on the political spectrum. All right, let's get right to it. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is Rich Harrison. He is formerly from the Nassau County Police Department, my beloved Nassau County. He is now in Fort Myers Police Department working on cold cases. And first of all, Rich, I want to thank you so much for coming on Cut to the Chase.
0: All right. Thank you for having me. Um, Again, it's a very important message you're getting out there to the public by doing this. So it's much appreciated.
1: So I think most people are interested in cold cases, people who like a good mystery, but I have to say for me personally this this touches me uh, really very much to the quick. Uh, And it's something I don't talk about very much publicly, but I had a brother who went missing when we were teenagers. And this was back in 1981. He was 17. We were in San Diego. And that was it. Never heard from him again. And, I mean, I'm assuming 41 years later, he's no longer with us. Michael was his name. But you, in your work now, must encounter so many of these kinds of stories that people carry with them for years, sometimes decades, How do you, how, how how, do you, have you sort of become a a bit of an amateur shrink in your work along with a detective?
0: Uh, You know what it is? It's, to me, uh, the most, uh, the worst crime that anyone could commit is the murder or the homicide of another individual. You know, after being retired from the Nassau County Police Department for 30 years, I, like a lot of other people, moved to Florida, Mm -hmm. and after a year of being retired, I got uh, I hate to use the word bored, but I did get bored, and I was able to get a job with Fort Myers Police Department. Just to give you a little bit overview of the demographics of Fort Myers, its population is between eighty-five to ninety thousand. Mm-hmm. Of course, that increases during the winter months. Uh, but they, you know, created a cold case because they had a hundred and sixty
1: open cold case investigations. 160. Um, And that's not a huge population for 160. No, it's not. Um, You know, there was some periods of time
0: back, uh, probably 10 years ago, where they were getting upwards between 20 to 24 homicides a year. Hmm. And, you know, one of your biggest resources is your manpower. So unlike Nassau County, where, you know, we had the best resources available here Uh, At some point, they had five or six detectives assigned to homicide. So they were picking up homicides every other week. With that happening, you can't devote your time or effort or you you only have a limited amount of time uh, in order to solve these cases. So when we got here, like I said, we had 160. We've closed out about nine of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just conferenced two more. One of our biggest cases here, you mentioned your brother being missing. We have missing persons. Their homicide squad covers missing persons also. So I look at it either an intended missing person or an unintended missing person. Back in 2007, in Fort Myers, they were uh, cleaning out an area. Uh, A surveyor was in there, and he uncovered a human skull. Mm. And they found in that location, eight at the time, it was unidentified males all wow. between the ages of 20 and 40. Most of them were missing persons from other parts of the country. Hmm. We have identified three of those bones. We call it the bones case. Mm-hmm. And we still have five that we have unidentified. But, you know, cold case, it, it's, a, it's a tough job to do because you cannot go back in time right. to what the officer or detective did back then.
1: With this bones case, so you were able to identify them how, the, the, the ones uh, that you did identify?
0: We did it through uh, reconstruction of the bones we found. We hired a company. Uh, we did mannequins of those uh, per- what those persons would have looked like. Mm. Uh, and because it was a very high-profile case back in 2007, uh, we did have people coming forward saying that they were a family member of a missing person. And using those names, we were able to use DNA to tie that missing person or that uh, bone or that skeletal re- remain into a person that had been missing from another part of the country.
2: Wow.
0: In fact, this just over the weekend, we did get additional tips uh, from uh, this private company based on those pictures, mannequins that we created. But that's an ongoing case, and the first part you have to do with that is identify who the person is, mm-hmm. and then you have to try to develop your motive, opportunity, and means mm-hmm. to create a subject.
1: Is it? it do you have detail. Do you have a sense of who killed them?
0: Uh, we have an idea. Uh, we believe it's a person who is in jail presently on a uh, murder conviction. Mm. But they were all located in the same area, all in shallow graves. And, um, you know, that may be one of those cases that we may not be able to ever solve, but uh, we keep plugging away at it, you know, and that's what our job is.
1: How helpful can the press be uh, for this for this sort of thing? I know that, you know, being a former reporter myself, the press is very interested in what just happened. How do you get the press interested? Because I imagine that could be a very helpful way to get either witnesses or or some kind of information. How how do you work that?
0: What what I try to do since I've gotten here is uh, I I have a number of cases I'm working on now. So on the anniversary of those deaths, I will go to the local press and I will ask them to put out a release. They will, for the most part, they do comply with you. They do put out the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason be- behind that is uh, you want to keep the case active. You want to keep it in people's minds. Uh you may have someone who may have seen something 10, 15 years ago who was hesitant back then to come forward, but they may come forward now. Uh, and you, you need to do that also for the families to keep it relative. Like, you know, it's, it's got to be active in their minds, too. Mm-hmm. And the press to me is very important. Unlike Nassau County, which was a top-notch police department, And it still is. You know, you go to different areas of the country. Fort Myers has about 240 members. uh, So they don't have the big town, big city mentality of how to handle cases. They are getting a lot better in this. And they are using their public information now to get the message out that, you know, this isn't just Rich Harrison's case. It isn't Warren Curran's case. It's the whole community's case, right? If you want crime to be reduced, you have to assist the police in getting that done.
1: So from what I understand, Fort Myers PD is attracting a lot more retirees like you from around the country Um, and and that the missing persons unit is becoming something of a national model.
0: Yeah. Well, the cold cold case unit, we have four retired guys. All of us have over 30 years of police experience. One of the detectives is from uh, Las Vegas, another from Chicago. And we had a guy from NCIS. He retired recently from here. Second retirement, and we hired a uh, investigator who used to be Rhode Island State Police.
2: Are so, you
1: ever yeah, different... used? Are you ever asked to consult on uh, for movies and TV? We
0: did. I, I guess the Fort Myers, the Cold Case Unit, did do a, uh, a segment or a number of segments for Cold Justice on a TV show. We've done a few of those. One was a recent one with a, uh, a football player from Florida Gators, Tony Joyner. He was arrested because of that show. Hmm. So we, we have done those. People are aware of what Fort Myers is doing in trying to solve these cold cases. When we do advertise that we need some help here, we, we generally get quite a few applicants for the spot. So,
1: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early
0: so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call,
2: clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So what
1: kind of cases, can you give me an example of a case that you're working on now that is particularly interesting?
0: Well, when we just finished up we ran it by, again, I won't, I won't give you any names, uh, but a lot of the cases here are uh, drive-bys, mm. right? So we have a number of those. One of those uh, we're just wrapping up. Uh, we did open that case up, and we did find additional witnesses who helped tie the car that was used, which happened to be a rental car, to the subjects.
2: Hmm. So we were able
0: to get this case, even though it's it's from 2016, mm-hmm. but it's a considered a cold case because... The detective who had the case back in 2016 ran and, you know, finished it up and had no uh, leads that would have led to an arrest. But now we believe we're going to wrap that up with an arrest. Mm. Another case I have is uh, a case from 2008. And that, again, was a group. I'm not going to use the word gang, but it was one faction in Fort Myers uh, had a beef with another guy and another faction. It was a home invasion where two gunmen came in and shot our subject or our, our victim. Mm. So we've been able, and again, we used, back then they did what they could. Uh, we developed additional evidence, which included a footprint of one of the bad guys, which, you know, help us probably put that case to a close, too.
1: What's it like dealing with the family members? They must be so incredibly grateful when um, something is finally solved.
0: They are. You know, what that's one of the other things we do. We have one uh case. It was again this was back from probably about 2008 also. One of the detectives I work with, he gets a call from the victim's mother once a week. Mm. Right? Wow. And uh and if he does not hear from her every week, he makes it a point to call her up. Yeah. We we try to keep Are victims, families involved as much as we can? Uh, I'm also of the mindset, and I think that's because of Nassau County training. You know, you reach out to the family, you keep them up to date as to where you are. You try to be truthful with them. Don't give them false hope. Right. If if something can't be done, you have to tell them why it can't be done. If they ask you to do something because they watched the TV show and they saw that there's certain DNA works... You tell them, I will research that, I will get back to you, and like I said, you you, you be as honest with them as you can, mm-hmm. uh, because you can't give them any false hope. To me, that's misleading, and uh, you're going to immediately lose faith.
2: Right, uh, if they don't the trust you. Family. Yeah.
0: Correct.
1: And it makes it more so, painful and, as well.
0: And I try to, you know, if they have suggestions, if they think I didn't do anything that they thought I should have done, I will try to do it. I will try to, and I guess that's part of the Nassau County training. You know, it's very, uh, you try to be as service orientated as you can with these people. So speaking
1: so. of Nassau County, I I have to bring up Joey Buttafuoco because I understand yep. you had a couple of, shall we say, alter, not altercations, but contacts with the family while this was all going on. So for those of you who are too young to remember, there was a case that was an infamous, notorious, famous case in Nassau County in the early 90s uh, where Amy Fisher shot the wife of her much older lover, old enough to be her father lover, named Joey Buttafuoco, who coincidentally had his repair shop in my hometown of Baldwin. So what happened there with you and the Buttafucos?
0: Well, I guess after the Amy Fisher case came out, the uh, I was in the 7th Squad at the time. I had just gotten there as a young detective. And the police department to, I guess, try to discourage people from driving by Joey's house, they parked a police car out there. And, of course, kids continually drove by, similar to what they do at the Amityville Horror House. It became, okay, let's drive by the Butterfucos. And I guess during the course of when this was happening, Joey took it upon himself one day to go out there, and he hadn't been charged yet with Amy Fisher. He took it, like I said, he came out of the house, and he caused criminal mischief to a car where there was uh, teenagers in it. So the 7 Squad, of course, picked up that case And that was actually his first arrest in that, anything to do with Amy Fisher. And uh, he came in and we charged him with the damage to the car. There was a search warrant executed on his boat at the time. Then you fast forward about a year later, a year and a half later, there was a beeper store in Massapequa. Oh,
1: yeah. Remember beepers?
0: Yeah. And Joey's uh, son at the time, I guess he was about 13, 14, was in possession of one of those stolen beepers. And I had a go over to Joey's house with the juvenile aid detective Terry Quinn who has since passed away hmm. and we were met at the door by Joey and Mary Joe and Mary Joe when she came down the stairs she goes what's this all about Joey and he goes beepers and that's what got him into or, or caused him uh, to be the primary subject in the Amy Fisher thing was him continuously beeping her his own beeper so of course yeah. Mary Joe you know made a comment oh beepers again huh, Joey <laughs> so that's my. Oh,
2: that's I classic.
0: That, yeah, but I was at that auto body shop while we were doing that case, the beeper case, and the criminal mischief case. So and his first and arrest about, had to
1: do had nothing to do with Amy. It had to do. No, it
0: had to do with him coming out of his house and smashing a car window
1: on a car being driven by a seventeen-year-old kid. Yeah. So, He didn't didn't like the crime tourists. Yeah. And you also uh, worked under Keyshawn Sewell, who is now the NYPD commissioner of police. How was that? How did you find her?
0: Well, I worked with Keyshawn in a squad. Mm -hmm. I worked with her there for a couple of years. And then when I went to Cap Squad, which was Crimes Against Property, she was the inspector at that time in charge of Major Kate. She's a very sharp person, well-spoken, intelligent I think she will be an asset to the NYPD. She knows what she's doing. She thinks things out before she reacts. And I think they hit a home run by making her commissioner. Like I said, she was a very, very good person, and she'll be good for that job.
1: So far, I think everyone's very impressed. So yes. is there, we have to wrap up in a, in a little bit, but is there one more case that you want to share with us that you think anyone here in New York could be helpful with?
0: Well, the one case that haunts me since I got here, and I don't know if anyone in New York can help me with it, is when I first got here, I picked up the case of Danielle Blackburn.
2: Mm-hmm. Blackburn?
0: Danielle Blackburn. Blackburn. Uh, she was a 21-year-old girl, and she uh, had multiple sclerosis. She had a six-year-old daughter. Hmm. And one morning, she lived with her mom. Her mom would go to work at about 6.45 a.m. And then the mom would come home around 10.30 because of Danielle's uh, condition. Mm-hmm. So one morning between the time the mom left for work and she came home, which was about three, three and a half hours, someone who Danielle probably knew, she let into the house. They strangled her. and How old was placed she? her She's 21, 21 years of age. That's right, 21. Yeah. And... They strangled Danielle, carried her into the bathtub, and drowned her.
2: Oh, my God.
0: This with her six-year-old daughter in the house. We believe we know who the subject is. Did it get a fingerprint hit? The person who we believe did this is presently serving a life sentence in a Florida prison for killing the girlfriend who we had after Danielle. Mm. So probably at least a double murderer. Marissa, the six-year-old, remembers hearing this individual knocking on the window that morning. The problem what we're entering into now is Marissa, the daughter, is now 19 years of age, Mm. right? She was six at the time. A lot of prosecutors don't like six-year-old's testimony Mm -hmm. on the stand. Now that she's 13 years past her mother being murdered and the bad guy's in jail for life, her thought pattern is let this uh, man just sit there and I can't let this horror come back into my life again.
2: Uh, So, you
0: know, we we put it out there because we believe someone saw this was in a uh, community apartment complex. We believe someone in that complex probably saw our subject there that morning. And, you know, we've asked the public before, if you saw this person there that morning, come forward and tell the police, you know, because and we're still waiting for that. That would take a little bit of the stress off of the six year old. Yeah. Because uh, basically, if we did lock this fella up for this murder, based on what the six-year-old told us, she heard someone knocking on the window and identified his voice as being the one knocking on the window. It would be too much pressure for her to mm-hmm. testify in court. Mm-hmm. Her feelings are: if I fail at this, I fail my family. I fail my mom. Mm. So I and think since if we he's had, in jail
1: anyway for life.
0: Yeah, and and that's what some families look at, but you know that becomes a conflict. Because, you know, the six-year-old, now 19-year-old, feels that way. But mm-hmm. the victim's father and mother don't
1: feel that way. It's interesting know? that the two cases that you told us about, the person you think did it is already in jail. I wonder if that's the case yeah. for a lot of these crimes. Uh, they, they could
0: be. A lot of people don't kill once. They kill multiple times. Yeah. Uh, I think this is, the statistics are that there's roughly 250,000 open homicides in the United States. And wow. someone did a study they says in your lifetime, you walking down the street, walk by probably people eleven people that have murdered someone.
2: Oh my God! That's,
0: yeah,
1: two hundred and fifty thousand was... open cases in the United States. So think yeah. about that, and yep. think about all those families and.
0: And that's not counting the missing people that uh, cases which we classify as missing people, missing persons. You know, until we determine that you know crim- some type of criminality occurred.
1: So, So, Rich Harrison, I just want to thank you so much, formerly of Nassau County PD and now of Fort Myers. You're doing God's work, and I wish you lots and lots of luck. Thank you.
0: Laura, thank you, and thank you for helping us get the message out.
1: You got it. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.